Hola, my beautiful humans. This is Jasmine Castillo, and I bring stories and cases from the people of color community, bringing awareness of murdered and missing indigenous women, girls, two spirits, the LGBTQ community, Asian American, Pacific Islander, black indigenous people of color. These are their stories. So welcome to Hands Off, my podcast. As you know, this month is BIPOC Mental Health Awareness Month. Black Indigenous people of color. Most people suffering from mental illness are not violent, and they claim that as a nation we are not doing enough to address the mental health is absolutely true. We're not doing enough to research treatments that work for those who struggle and support those who work in behavioral health. Society has a way to dehumanize and destroy the concept of what it means to be a person. This world can be hostile to our very existence, and we wrestle with the fundamental problems in life every day. What you could do to help is start a conversation with a friend or loved one. Make it become more of a topic that people start discussing. You can use a frame in conversation or a starting point that shows that you care and not to have judgment on the person. BIPOC are very family-oriented, and a way to get closer to your family is to include them in your life. This brings a stronger relationship with them, and this is another way where you can learn more about the other person and to see what they really have experienced in their own life. Find ways to relate to one another. You can ask of them about the terms of their childhood and if there were certain things that have happened or may have occurred, experiences or thoughts, that you could find ways to have those conversations and make them feel like you care of what they are going through and what they are feeling. If you want more information on how you can support, educate, and become more aware of the BIPOC Mental Health Awareness Month, I will have the links in the show notes. The Romero family lived in a one-story home in Loganville, Georgia, a Gwinnett County city of 10,000 people, about 35 miles east of Atlanta. This family had beautiful children, two-year-old Axel, four-year-old Delan, seven-year-old Dakota, nine-year-old Diana, and 10-year-old Isabella, and husband and wife, Maria and Martin. The Gwinnett County Police 
arrived to the home on Emory Lane, and as they parked the vehicles to the front of the home, there stood two SUVs with Illinois plates in the driveway. On a Thursday, July 6, 2017, this is the story of Romero family. The Romero family recently moved from Illinois to Loganville, Georgia, a few months prior. The children, Diana, Isabella, Dakota, Dylan, and Axel, enjoyed after-school programs and frequently came out to play on the street and in the park. The family was well-liked in the neighborhood, and the children were happy and jumped into any other activities in the neighborhood. The family lived in a quiet community for about three or four months, according to neighbors. In the coming months of their arrival, neighbors said that Isabel had been severely depressed since the recent death of her father, who lived in Mexico. Family members and neighbors said Martinez had mental health issues, and the death of her father had fueled a deep depression. Maria Isabel Cardunio Martinez, 33, also referenced in news articles as Isabel Martinez. I will use Isabel Martinez or Martinez to reference her in this episode. Isabel was identified entering the U.S. from Mexico illegally based on a U.S. Customs and Immigration Enforcement. It was unclear if the rest of her family came to the U.S. legally. From an article from Eleven Alive, the family held barbecues and Martina seemed like a happy person but became a lot meaner and kept saying she kept seeing things. Neighbors said that she used to be calm, a happy person, and she invited them over to her house. The neighbor also added, quote, Now, she's yelling at people. She's just very upset. From an AJC report, According to one of the local residents, Martinez and Romero had been heard arguing in their home before she came outside in tears. Others said Martinez had fallen into a deep depression because her father died in June. Around the 4th of July weekend, Martinez began to feel a devil-like spirit during a beach trip to Savannah with her family. She said that while they were at the beach, the waves attempted to take her and her children away, and she just wanted to save them. She said she couldn't explain the spirit, but said she was very frustrated. On Wednesday, July 5, 2017, one of the little girls from the neighborhood usually played with the kids, and at that time, around 4 p.m., she knocked on the door, seeing the two SUVs parked in the driveway but no one responded. By the following day, July 6, at 4.47 a.m., Isabel made a call to 911. She spoke in Spanish during her duration of this call. The first responders found her with a cut wrist sitting among the six bodies of her family. Two-year-old Axel, four-year-old Delan, seven-year-old Dakota, 
10-year-old Isabella, and their surviving victim, 9-year-old Diana. She was detained and charged that afternoon and was held without bond at the Gwinnett County Detention Center. Police began to tape the crime scene next to a playground set as they investigated this grisly scene, which they described as horrendous. One of the local residents identified to the news media he had often saw the family's children playing in the neighborhood, noting that they didn't look like they were in some kind of danger. The following day, Martinez appeared smiling and giving thumbs up in court. She was speaking through a Spanish-language interpreter that she didn't want an attorney, added that her attorney will always be the people and her faith. Video footage of the hearing, you could see her theatrically kneeling in front of the camera and gesturing for photographers. She told her caseworker that she tried to stop the friend but he cut her on the wrist. After the attack, Martina said she then placed the bodies in the same room so everyone can be together. Diana was the sole survivor of this tragic event. However, had to stay in the hospital for more than three weeks to recover from her injuries. Diana said her mother did not cry or scream during the attack on her family. Martin Romero woke up during the attack and pleaded with her, quote, please don't do this, end quote. Diana said that no one else but her family was in the home where her mother, husband, and children lived. Gwinnett County Public Information Officer Corporate Michelle Behera was quoted, what prompts a person to take the life of such innocent children and her spouse is something we may never understand. This is a horrendous crime not only for the victims, but for the extended family, neighborhood, and community. We are hoping and praying that the remaining victim survives her injuries and makes a full recovery, end quote. There were many relatives living in the area. One of Martin Romero's cousins told investigators that they heard Isabel saying she would bring her father back by any means possible and was waiting for a signal to do his will. She said she had promised her children to an evil force. And four days before the murder was telling her family she was going to put to sleep everyone in the house. Isabel told police that she went to a priest two weeks before the attack and told him there were bad people chasing her. The priest told her she was sick and it was all in her head. And at the crime scene, Bibles were placed on top of Martin and by the children, who were all left together on the same bed. The lone survivor, Diana, told investigators she saw her mother stab her sister, Dakota, and her brother, Martin Jr. Her mother told her that they were going to a religious clouds. Diana disturbingly describes how the first child she began stabbing, Axel, woke up. 
but she squeezed his nose shut and he suffocated. She also told that her sister Dakota woke up and said, No, mommy, no. She also suffocated her, as well as the rest of her children, except for Diana. Isabel admitted killing her husband and children, according to a report, telling investigators, Soy culpable de todos los cargos, and yo no soy inocente, which means, I am guilty of all the charges, and I am not innocent. The report also said that she wanted salvation for her whole family and to go to the other life, and she believed that she was correct. She did tell detectives that she loved her family with all her heart. And on the 911 call of the attack, she thought that her and her family were going to the heavens. During her interviews with detectives, they noticed that Isabel began to have trouble staying in the present mentally, and even one detective noted she displayed a distinct change in her mental clarity. So here's some information on what psychologists have researched. And others who have studied these cases of mothers accused of killing their children say it is not as uncommon as people might believe. Take, for example, the media coverage that focuses on dramatic cases like Yates, who was found not guilty by reason of insanity on a 2001 drowning deaths of her five children. And there is other cases that get less attention when a woman kills a newborn or children's death blamed on neglect. Just in 1990s alone, there was about a thousand cases of mothers who have killed their children. That amount is like one death every three days. And this is based on media reports at the time. There is cases when mothers kill intentionally and often another influence such as mental health issues, postpartum depression, or a loss of a close loved one. When the judge informed Isabel her right to have an attorney, she said through Spanish language interpreter that she didn't want one. In 2014 analysis of FBI data found there are around 500 cases per year of parents arrest for killing their children. The study found that contact weapons were rarely used in the cases studied. Beating, choking, and drowning were most common, and it's quite unusual for a woman to kill an entire family rather than her children alone. The Gwinnett District Attorney Office keeps in contact with the surviving daughter, Diana, and her guardians through duration of the case, and multiple family members were present when Isabel entered her guilty plea, but they themselves did not want to make a victim impact statement. So, I have a few questions, like I usually do, are questions that have come up during a discussion of this story. Is this an immigration problem? Now, there's going to be two sides of this conversation, and I choose to stand on the short answer. 
No, it is not the problem. Now, if you prefer the longer version, immigration isn't the problem. Mental health is not being properly cared for in diagnosis. Using the excuse that she is a Mexican illegal immigrant and people don't know what it's like to go through. And if you are a history buff or lacking of information in regards to history, there was a thing called the Mexican Session. And yes, Mexico was a territory that included the states of California, Nevada, New Mexico, Utah, Arizona, Texas, parts of Colorado, and Wyoming. Before 1848, the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo. So when someone says, go back to where you come from, don't be mad if I am camping in your backyard, because this is where I'm from. Another question is, was this preventable? Martin Romero's brother chimed in and said that Martin actually took Isabel to a doctor who had prescribed her an antidepressant, and Martin was monitoring her dose because he feared that she would attempt to overdose. And later on, during the search of the property, officers did find medication typically used for major depression. Another question is, what will happen to Diana? Sadly, it will probably bother her when she's older. We know that most people will develop a mental health disorder experience symptoms by age 14. Identifying these early signs and providing appropriate supports can improve Diana's life, reduce worsening symptoms, and improve mental health in the future. Waiting to address children's mental health has serious financial costs and long-term effects on the lives of children and their families. As I mentioned in episode 1, I identify that I had to go through many years of therapy and treatment because of my trauma. I am now in my 40s and I would say that I am probably in a better place than I was at the time that this was occurring. So one of the last and final articles that I could find as an update was in April of 2019. 35-year-old Isabel Martinez pleaded guilty to five counts of murder and other charges. She was sentenced to five life sentences with the possibility of parole plus 21 years. The DA's office confirmed the decision not to seek the death penalty, which was identified to Channel 2 Action News. The decision was made due to Isabel's apparent mental health issues. Even though this was a tragic result of this family, there is a way that you can still help Diana. There is a Romero Family Medical Fund on GoFundMe, organized by Holly Romero on behalf of Antonio Romero the uncle that took in Diana after the tragic event. They are still in the process of raising 50000 Currently, it's standing at 42510 If you like to donate, it is still currently active for the Romero family. I will put the link in the show notes. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Hands Off My Podcast. 
If you are enjoying the podcast and you'd like to support the mission, I do have a Patreon membership that will help the cause and bring more detail on cases and stories from the people of color community. If you yourself has a lost loved one or a story suggestion, please don't hesitate to contact me at email. Handsoffmypodcast at gmail.com And if you are only able to support in another way, please give this podcast a 5-star rating on Apple or Spotify and continue to listen to upcoming episodes every Thursday, wherever you listen to your podcast. Dios te bendiga.